0: We're so glad you guys are here this morning. I need you to do me a big favor because I am on my own today. Denise is not here, and I think my wife's biggest worry when she is gone is that I will dress myself in ways that embarrass her. So, um, please let her know it matched. Okay, it worked out. It's okay. You know, guys, it has been an amazing week in the Lord, and. In fact, go go ahead and get your Bibles out. Uh, Book of James, we're in a series we may be in until Jesus comes, it's okay. Uh, We're going to walk through the book of James. Uh, Going to be turning to chapter one. But uh, we have a very unique ministry that we began uh, when we first moved here to the Rex Center. And it's it's infants, I mean, you know, it's still raw, it's still forming. But uh, God really laid on our heart um, to do something for single moms in this area, and uh, we, we meet once a month. It's, uh, it's the second Monday night of each month here at the Rec Center. Uh, Stephanie Frisbee, who manages the Rec Center, is also a single mom. She's there with us. And uh, I, I just get the privilege to go. I'm supposed to be leading this. But I don't know how to lead this. I've not been a single mom, but I hang out with them, and we laugh. And you know what is amazing to me is I come out of those meetings encouraged by their faith sometimes more than what I've brought to them. And I just want to bring this to you to say, be praying about this. We don't know where it's going to go, but it's starting to, to grow. We had two new moms this, uh, this past week, and they've got a lot of real needs. They know that, but they also have a lot of faith. And we, we make no bones about it. We're, yes, we're coordinating with the, with the Mecklenburg County, which was hard to imagine we could do that. But uh, we talk about Jesus, and because every one of them needs to know that being a single mom is not their identity. It's their circumstance. And God has something he's going to do in the middle of their circumstances. you agree with that? So be praying with us. I just think it's a great, fun ministry. If you want to be involved in that, uh, we'd love for you to, to join us as well in that. Well, today we are going to be uh, looking down to verse 19, 19 through uh, the 25th verse. Uh, if you're following along on your tablet or phone, uh, in U version, you can find our notes there. Uh, some cool things with that, if you scroll down to the end of the notes there, you can also find, if you're our guest today, you can write there, uh, hey, just contact us, let us know that, uh, uh, who, who you are. We'd love to send you a gift. Our, our policy at Hope is very simple. We're not going to show up at your house, okay? Uh, I don't care how good the cookies are. I don't want people showing up at my house. I'm not going to show up at your house. Uh, we're not going to call you during dinner. We just want to send you a gift, welcome you and help connect you into Charlotte and to the faith community in this area. Uh, but also at the bottom of that, there are some study notes. We use them in our community groups, meet, meet weekly, and uh, they can kind of help you take the sermon and, and, and walk it out during the week. But, uh, and then if you're old school and you actually have a paper Bible, it's okay to write in it, okay? Uh, so take some notes this morning. We're talking about how to be truly blessed. How to be truly blessed. I mean, that's one of those words that's hard to define, isn't it? You know, in the South, we know that bless your heart does not mean bless your heart. Uh, So we know that that has a different connotation to it. Uh, It's a word we don't go around using a lot. Oh, aren't you blessed? That just sounds a little phony, doesn't it? Uh, In fact, if we tried to put it into the culture's mindset, they would probably say those that we would call blessed, they would say are lucky. But we know that being blessed by God has nothing to do with luck at all. It has everything to do with aligning with his word, aligning with his spirit, and letting God minister to our hearts. And here in the book of James, he gives us a picture of what it means to walk into the blessing of God, because to be blessed does not mean that you don't have any problems. You know that, right? Right? So often people think that blessing means the absence of problems. Can I tell you, if you've lived long enough and walked with God long enough, there are times you look back into situations where you would call it a problem and you would say, you know what? It was in those moments I experienced the grace and the power of God greater than any other time. And uh, not that we long for problems, but we don't run from them either because God is there in the midst of our problems. In this passage we're reading today, it really talks about how that we have the ability To shape our lives, by our choices, by our paths, to come to that place where we make ourselves blessable by God. Now, let's be straight up. Before we even read it this morning, listen, if you are saved, if you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, he is the Lord and Savior of your life, it doesn't matter what your circumstance, you are blessed beyond measure. Can I get an amen from that this morning? I mean, think about it. He is the God who can take any circumstance and bring it about to good for our lives. So if you know Christ, no matter what your circumstance looks like, you are blessed. Now let's pick it up. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Can I tell you how tempted I was to stop right there and just preach a sermon just on that? Especially in this political season, it's like there's a message, right? But what it's really talking about, it's not that we don't get angry, But he's saying, look, don't let your anger lead to sin because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. In other words, uh, what what comes out of us naturally when we get our buttons pushed. We talked about buttons getting pushed last week. He says, look, get get rid of that moral filth that that comes out of us uh, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Verse 22 Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not not a cursory look, not a glance, but a a deeper look into God's word, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, check it out, they will be what? They'll be blessed in, in what they do. They will be blessed in what they do. Blessed, where the whole world can see the fingerprints of God in your life. We see the fingerprints of God in your circumstances. We can see the fingerprints of God in your, in your attitude and nature. So the question is, how do we align? How do we, how do we live out these teachings? How do we live out these words this morning and align our lives with God so that at the end of the day we can be assured that we are walking in the blessing in all that we do. Now what I wanna talk about this morning is what I call the cycle of blessing. This is what James laid out for us, the cycle of blessing. Because our tendency is that we are always looking for these nice, easy little shortcut sermons or messages that tell us, hey, four easy steps to be blessed, three, three steps to have a wonderful marriage. Those that are married know that is not possible at all. It's a continuous walk with God. It's not three easy anythings. And in the same way, there's not four easy steps to be blessed, but there is a cycle of four things that this Word teaches us to do that if we do them continuously, Over and over and over again, we will walk in the blessing of God. And the first one seems so practical, but it's so difficult for many. And that is, if we're going to walk in the cycle of blessing, we've got to clean out the crud. I needed a C word. I couldn't think of a better C word. Clean out the crud. All right? Everybody knows what crud is? All right. Thank you. That was my dad's curse word growing up because that was safe, right? But um, no, my dad. Anyway. Uh, If you've ever, has anyone ever renovated something? You know what I'm talking about? When we bought the land that we're going to be building on, there's this wonderful house there. In fact, Matt and Brandy live there. But the day we closed on the house, I had a big surprise. Because we bought it from this couple. They were in their 80s, wonderful people. Their son was a missionary. They always dreamed of having a church on their property. And we go to closing, and we sign all the documents, you know, and Denise and I get the keys. We're so excited to go over to the house. And we open the door, and the house was completely full of crud. I mean, there were furniture, there were papers, there were, you name it, It was there were pictures on the wall. And I, I called the family up and I'm like, did y'all like make a mistake and not move out? They're like, oh no, we got what we wanted. That's a donation to the church. <laughs> that donation cost me almost $3,000 in dumpsters over the next two months of cleaning out the crud one step at a time. But the, the point is, You can't renovate something until you clean out the crud. James says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Now, you don't even have to be a follower of Christ. Just listen for a second. You don't have to be a follower of Christ to know there are things in your life that are limiting you. Things in your life that are keeping you from walking in what you perceive as being blessing. And as a follower of Christ, you certainly know when it is that there are things that you are walking in, known sin, known habits that are not pleasing to God, that are limiting you in God. And we have to recognize that there are things that need to go. There are things that need to change. Stop this, start this. But the reality is we know what it is. And yet sometimes we're so stubborn and we're so hard-headed to say, I know that, but I just don't want to deal with it. And James is saying the cycle of blessing, the cycle that God wants to, to put his fingerprints on you begins by us even starting right there and saying, let's, let's get rid of some things. Because here's the tragedy. The tragedy I see in so many lives is this. And it's not that, that we, we are, we, we, it's not even trying to live up to the Bible, but so often we don't even live up to our own moral code. There are things that we just know, they're hardwired into us. And yet for whatever reason, we struggle even following that path in our lives. But you see there's this cycle, there's this this adding factor that, that God wants to bring in our life and it begins when we start walking toward his goodness. Check this out. Peter and Second Peter kind of gave this progression and you always have to be careful with progressions in the word of God. Because something is listed in the Word of God and something is first, second, third doesn't mean that third is less important than first. But there are times where it, it, cle- it clearly indicates that there is a flow or there is a cycle. And here in Second Peter, it speaks of this. He says, for this very reason, talking about what God has done for us and now wanting us to grow in his grace, he says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Just cleaning out the stuff, right? Out of your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and self-control, perseverance, that, that, that James taught early on. Hey, you got to hang in there. you got to walk in that trial. Don't try to wiggle out of it. Let God work through it. Because that leads to godliness, which is that proven character, which is the goal, James says, of our faith. And to godliness, mutual affection, mutual affection, love. Four if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Now the interesting thing to me with that is, before we ever got to knowledge, he says add goodness. You know, so often we, we lead someone to the Lord, and we, 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 someone accepts Christ, and we immediately want to take them into classes and go, alright, let us teach you all this stuff to learn, and all these scriptures, and yet he says, you need to Focus first, let's, let's start working on walking towards goodness, breaking out of those habits that have destroyed, breaking out of those circumstances that are holding us back and letting God begin to work from the inside out of us because then when the knowledge comes onto that heart, now it grows and it multiplies and it leads to all these other things in our life. So he said the first thing in this cycle is we got to clean out the crud because we want to humbly accept God's word. You see, here's, here's the challenge James gives to us. This is why I love James. James is an action book, all right? James, the brother of Jesus, who heard all the sermons of Jesus, all the talk, didn't even believe in Jesus. He thought he was just his crazy, old, crazy brother, but yet he, you can tell he listened, because if you follow the book of James, here's what he did. He followed the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, and he says, here's how you walk it out, and it begins by this. He says, if you want to know God's will for tomorrow, then start doing what you know to do today. Think about that. If we pray, God, who am I going to marry? What job am I going to take? What house am I going to live in? Where am I going to go to school? He says the first thing you do is you do what you know to do today. Because we want God to guide us, but so often we're not willing to trust Him for today. We just want to know the future. Think of this if I won't listen to what He's already told me, then He won't tell me what's going to happen next. You're like, that's kind of harsh. Listen, it's hard to explain. Scripture teaches this. I see it walked out. I've heard it explained as the dimmer switch theology. And and it simply simply goes this way. It says, when we are open to the light that God shines in our life, the word that God speaks to us, the voice of God in our lives, then he turns the switch up to give us more. All right? So when we are receptive, we're listening, we're taking it all in, he turns the switch up to give us more. But when we don't respond, it doesn't mean that he he, keeps sending more light. In fact, the scripture says... He turns the dimmer down. You say, "What? that's kind of harsh. What God is saying is if you trust me, then you need to to follow through with that. If you trust me, you're going to receive what I say. If you trust me, then I'm going to give you more. But if you're just listening to tickle your own ears and you're not going to obey anyway, he said, I'm going to turn it down as I go. And we see it in Scripture. In Romans chapter 1, it speaks to a whole culture. It speaks to the culture we live in today. In Romans chapter 1, you can read it later, 18 through 32, he says there's this culture that he's been calling out to. This is life. This is what I want to do. This is how great I made you to be. But the culture turned their ears away from God and started following on their own path. And he said, so, okay, then I'm going to just turn you over to the only light you can accept, and that's the light that you create in yourself. And it it leads to destruction. In our own lives Proverbs 4:18 says this the path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining ever brighter to the full light of day. You see what God is wanting to get into our hearts is there are things he says we need to do based on what he's shown us and when we do them we are opening ourselves up to so much more of his revelation for our lives. But if we're kind of taking it like a cafeteria and going, okay, I don't like that, God, I don't like that from you, I don't, okay, but I like that, he's like, no, I'm not going to keep sending it, because your heart's not even ready to receive it yet, and something has to happen here and in inside. It's kind of like running on a spiritual treadmill. I mean, you're just busy, but you're not getting anywhere in your walk with God. I learned a long time ago, you can't outwork the crud in your life. You can't out-serve the crud in your life. You can't out-study or out-worship the crud in your life. You just need to clean it out. And here's the good news. We serve an omnipotent, all-powerful God that when you give him your stuff, he is able to cleanse us and break us out of old habits and release us into better thinking so that we can follow him in the path that leads to life. So the first thing is we've got we've to clean out the crud. The second, it's in that same verse, in verse 21, and that is we are to humbly receive God's word. Verse 21, get rid of all moral filth, evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Now I, I, I read that and I struggle. All right, God, what does that mean? How do I humbly accept your word? How do I humbly accept what you're, you're speaking to me? I think it all has to do with your picture of God. I think it all has to do with your attitude toward God. In the book of Proverbs, uh, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, Proverbs 1, 7, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So it comes to that place of saying, God, I I recognize you are the creator of the heavens and the earth, God. You created me. You have something to say to me, God, and I'm gonna gonna humble myself to, to be ready to receive God because that's where wisdom is found. He goes on in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 7, one of my, maybe one of your coffee cup verses, one of my life verses here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. I usually stop at verse 6, but check out verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Humbly accept the word of God. Get rid of the crud, right? Say, well, then, Mike, how how do we know this? I think it comes down to this. I think this is how you know whether you humbly accept God's word, and that is this. It's a test. What do you do when you disagree with God's word? I think that's a test. You're like, what what do you mean disagree with God's word? I never disagree with God's word. I would say you've never read God's word if you never disagreed with God's word. Because there are things in God's word that go against our flesh. There are things that go against even our common sense sometimes, and we're like, I don't know. (laughs) That may have been for somebody else, God, but I'm not so certain that was for me. You see, if we are humble, then when we come to these times where we don't necessarily understand what the Word of God is saying, or we may even disagree with it, we we just humbly say, God, well, you are God, and I'm going to trust you then. You are God, and I'm going to walk according to your ways. But if we are arrogant, we're just the opposite of that. And that is we say, well, I, I know you're God, but, you know, I'm the exception. And that doesn't work for me so that must have been a version for somebody else. I'm, I'm just not going to go there, okay? And what you're doing is, again, you're you're saying, God, I, I see what your light's trying to shine. I'm just not really willing to follow in it. You see, we all disagree with God's word. But if we're not humbly accepting, then the only trust we have in God's word is to the point that I disagree with it or that I think I know better than God. That's a dangerous place to be, isn't it? It's a dangerous place to be. I mean, think about the Bible heroes. Can you imagine Noah out there in the middle of nowhere, there's no lakes, no rivers anywhere, God says, build a boat, and Noah goes, no, I think I'll just build a cabin. Well, mankind would have been wiped off the earth in its entirety in that moment, right? I mean, you think of some of the other Bible heroes we read about, Joshua, Joshua, walk around Jericho seven times, oh God, my feet are hurting. Don't you think three's enough? I mean, come on, three's a good number, Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let's just do three, God, that should be enough, and... Uh, we might not ever read about Jericho falling. Jesus, you're going to die on the cross for the sins of your people. All right, Father, how about I just die in my sleep? That sounds a whole lot better than a cross. Come on, let's get real here, right? You see... There are things that God speaks to us that sometimes don't make sense. There are commands in his word. There are things that we are taught that we just struggle with. And life has a lot of those situations where we don't know what to do. But when God says this is the way you walk in it, he expects us to walk that way. And when we don't know what to do, and maybe it's a gray area, because how many know there are a lot of gray areas where God has not given us? I mean, I don't know about you, but I've prayed many times, God, can you write an addendum to to this text? God, can you give us a a new addition? Because, God, there's some things we're struggling with on earth you've not made as clear as we'd like them to be. But when we don't know what to do, go back to James 1. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives wisdom liberally and doesn't get upset the fact that you asked in the first place. I don't know about you, but I live there a lot. <laughs> God, give me wisdom because I don't know what to do. So the things are, the cycle of is, one, you got to get rid of the crud. Two, humbly accept God's word. And three, do what it says. Just do what it says. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, I wrote my notes here, talk turkey. That just means pull your toes in, minor, to, minor pulled in. There are so many things we know what to do, and we just don't do it. Come on, let's just be honest. If you are a follower of Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus, you've read the Bible, let's just take three or four examples here. Generosity. You know what to do with the money God has blessed you with, but you just don't do it because you know of all the exceptions that are all about you. But God, but I got these student loans. But God, I'm just starting out. But did you really mean the, the top part or the bottom part? And we talk ourselves out of just doing what the Word says. Honesty well, you know, pastor, my situation is so unique, I really can't tell them the truth, so I just kind of bend it a little bit, and I live in these kind of a kind of that gray area because I just don't want to offend, because after all, my, my situation is, is quite unique, or bitterness. How many people have I talked to? Over the years, I'm like, look, you need to forgive them, but you don't know what they did to me. And I'm like, no, I don't, but I know what you did to Christ, and I did to Christ, and he forgave us. And can I tell you, the longer you don't forgive them, guess what? They own you. <laughs> they own you. And nobody should own you. You should let it go because if you don't let it go, they are always going to direct and define your life. Last week we talked about an area that's so common, temptation. What does the Bible say to do when we run into the temptation? Help me out. Please, I hope you've listened last week. What do we do? Thank, Thank you. I was going to have to re-preach that sermon. We run, Right? But who gets in trouble? The one that says, oh, but I'm an exception. I can handle that temptation. I can handle that flirtation at work. I can handle that. I'm, I'm, I'm more mature in my faith. And the Word of God says, beware when you think you stand, because guess what? You're going to fall, all right? He says, run. There are we just got to say, I am not the exception. I humbly accept what God's Word says, and I'm going to do it. You see, it's the action That James is looking for this cycle of blessing doesn't come from just knowing it comes from doing what we know There's a myth in our culture that if you are spiritually mature It just means you are more educated in the Word of God than those that are around you Can I tell you it doesn't mean you're deep it just means you've been well taught the proof of your maturity is not here It's what you do with it in your life. You see sometimes We are caught in that trap where we measure ourselves against ourselves Oh, but they're so much more spiritual than I am. They can quote quote in the King James. It's pretty awesome. So? So can the demons from hell. You see, this is not an anti-knowledge sermon at all. That's not what James is getting at. He's just saying that God measures our heart based on our obedience to the knowledge we have. You, real quickly, three things. Just, you can write these down. I think this will help somebody out. Three three realities about, about obedience versus knowledge. In fact, three reasons obedience trumps knowledge. I hated to use the word trump. I couldn't think of anything else about it, but that was the only word I could find. You know what I'm talking about, all right? Number one, obedience is the proof that I know and I love God. It's the proof that I know and I love God. Where do you get that? 1 John 2 through 3 through 6 says, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his, word, or if obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how that we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. The very words of Jesus in John's gospel, chapter 14, verse 15, says, If you love me, read the Bible. you need to do that. No, he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The second thing about obedience is this. It's the ultimate goal of our mission. It's the ultimate goal of our mission. The very words of Jesus, when he was leaving the earth, he told his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all these things. See, we think the gospel is just throwing out there, hey, Jesus loves you, and He does. But it leads to a life now where God comes in by His Holy Spirit and begins to lead you through the Word and begins to shape your life from the inside out. But so much of that happens because we start walking in accordance and alignment with His will and His mission through His Word. There's a third thing, and that is this. Obedience is the proof of being blessed by God. Luke chapter 11 says this. He replied, speaking of Jesus, he replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the Word of God and obey it. Blessed, rather, are those who hear the Word of God and obey it. Now, I was brought up in a, in a movement and a denomination that very much honors God's Word. I love studying God's Word, but it can become an end to itself. And there are things that uh, I look in Scripture now, and I realize that maybe I was taking them a little out of context. And one of those, I just want you to look at this with me, was in the book of Psalms, chapter 1. We'll put it up on the screen. Because it's a a verse that a lot of believers know, and it's really powerful, but I want you to understand how it relates to our obedience. He says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. I remember reading that verse, I'm like, God, then, so you want me to be a monk? I mean, how do you meditate on the word day and night? I mean, it just just puts this picture in your mind of, of how do I get a hold of this? But the reality is when you study that word out, it it, it comes down to that concept of of meditation. is kind of like a a cow chewing its cud. And I know we live in Charlotte and that may be a hard concept for some of y'all, but growing up a veterinarian's son, I'll not be graphic. But basically what it means is what he has taken in, he has a way of bringing back up and chews on it more and has it go back in and brings it back up and chews on it more. Here's the picture that the psalmist David, who was a shepherd by the way, gave us. Take what you know, chew on it, Get it in your spirit. Let it come into your life in different ways. Walk it out every day so that you learn how to walk in obedience to what you know. It's not a matter of, let me just constantly be like a monk sitting back just taking in more, 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 more. He says you've got to bring it up so that you know how to act on it if you're going to grow in the Lord. Here's some myths about knowledge. Three myths, all right? People say the more you know, the more you grow. No, the more you obey, the more you grow. You got to live it out in practice, all right? I went out and watched the uh, local high school play football Friday night. I, it's been about five years since uh, going out there to watch my son play, and and I was watching them. and I, And one thing I knew about this team, forgive me, Coach Paul Mary, they forgot the basics because they weren't doing what they knew to do, and they got beat. All right. In the same way, we've got to act on what we know if we ever expect to grow. It's that cycle again. It's just getting up and doing what you know to do every day as the Word of God gives you light. Here, here's the second. Here's the second myth. Being a Bible scholar makes you a spiritual giant. No, Jesus was crucified by a bunch of Bible scholars, okay? Knowledge is awesome, but you got to live it out. This is no way to say don't study God's Word. You get that, right? It's not saying don't study God's Word. James is saying what well, you know, you got to live out. Here's my favorite myth. You have to be a great reader in order to be a great disciple. Can I just, can I just help out the men in our room for a second? We are not known for being great readers, there are a few men I know that just read every day, can't wait to get up and read, and man, they journal, and they really get into touch with their heart and everything, and they're pastors, okay? It's kind, of a, it's kind of what we do, you know? But the majority are like, a book? What do you mean a book? Did somebody get killed in it? Is there like explosions and stuff? I mean, you know, come on, Tom Clancy? Yeah, but Bible? We, we get that, all right? You do have to read it, but we're not natural readers. If that was true, then no dyslexic can ever go to heaven. I mean, how do you read what you can't even understand? I mean, I love this, all right? Before there was the Bible, do you think people obeyed God? Of course they did. Until around 1450, there was no Bible you could put on your nightstand, and even then you couldn't do it anyway. The Gutenberg Bible came along about 1450. We need God's Word in our lives, but we need it so we can act on it. We need it so we can obey it. We need it so it will shape our lives through our action. Then finally, the last part of the cycle today, and we're going to wrap this up, is this. You need to take your obedience to a deeper level. Take your obedience to a deeper level. Verse 23 says, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at itself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. In other words, you have no real concept of who you are in Christ. You have no real identity that is found in him. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Denise now recently moved into a a new old house, and uh, we're we're starting now to make it our own. You know, what I'm talking about you know uh, we start painting rooms, start doing those kind of things. And I noticed something about painting rooms that maybe you've experienced before, and that is, if you paint one room, you're probably going to paint a whole bunch more because there are things you just don't see, right? until you put a new, a new foot of paint up on the wall, and sudden you're like, oh, oh, man, that clashes with that. Oh, I didn't even see that big old dent in the wall and that scratch, and the next thing you know, you're having to repair all kind of stuff because you brought this newness into your life. In the same way, the more we walk toward God, the more we take his word and act on it. That's why I call it a cycle. It continuously brings things up that we go, oh, I didn't see that before. Oh, I didn't know that about me. Oh, now I understand what you're saying over here, God, what it really means to love my neighbor. And what it does, it just throws us right back into that cycle again that says, at every level that I grow in God, there's another level. You say, well, that sounds exhausting. No, it's it's wonderful, because at every level, you experience more of the grace of God enabling you to do that which you never could do before. But here's what James would say to us today. The cycle's real, and none of us are exceptions to it. Not a single one of us. In fact, if you picked up the theme through the book of James, especially in chapter 1, it's all about there are no exceptions. You're going to go through trials, he said early on. He says, don't run from them. Trust God. Go to him for wisdom. He'll see you through. No exception. He says, There's, you're going to be tempted. You're not above it. It's going to happen. But he says, don't play with it. Run from it. Let God bring you out. Now, he says, you're going to have the Word of God coming into you. The only way it's going to really grow in you, it's planted, but the only way it's going to grow in you is if you walk it out and you obey it in your life. There's no exceptions. I recently read an excerpt from a book called A View from the Zoo by Gary Richmond. Again, being a veterinarian, son, this really resonated with me because we were always taught, that's a good pet, that's not a good pet, that's a good dog, that's a bad dog, okay? Uh, not going to name breeds this morning. But the book was written about uh, a zookeeper. And he had a friend one time that uh, decided that she was going to make a pet out of a raccoon named Bandits. Because how we know raccoons are cute when they're little and they're not ripping your garbage up, right? And Bandit was irresistible little nine-month-old cute little bundle of fur, you know, little bandit mask on his face. And, and this friend would always walk around with bandit sitting on her shoulder because Julie loved bandit. I mean, bandit was so cute that even times bandit would take his little paws and when Julie would look at it and he'd put his little paws around her face like he was going to kiss her. And everybody thought, what an amazing, amazing animal to have. My friend, the friend wrote, he says, I, I ran into Julie later when uh, Bandit was now 18 months old. He was 25-pound adolescent. And he was so much fun. He was still being cute and cuddly. She just loved Bandit so much. And finally, he, he went to his friend who knew a lot about animals. He said, you know, I see my friend with this raccoon. Why don't more people make pets out of them? He goes, oh. Because at 24 months, they go through a glandular change. And at that moment, they become very unpredictable. And very aggressive. So this friend went to Julie says, "Julie, I got to tell you something. Hey, I know Bandit's cute and everything. You're having a lot of fun, but can I tell you, my friend who's an expert animal says something's going to happen in this in this animal at 24 months. You better be careful because they're known to attack. They become unpredictable. They become surlier in their nature." And Julie said to him, "Oh, it will be different for me. Bandit would never hurt me. He just wouldn't." Three months later, Julie underwent plastic surgery to repair the lacerations that occurred when her beloved pet bandit turned on her for no apparent reason and attacked her. You want to walk in the way that is blessable? Get rid of your raccoons in the spirit. We all have them. And that is our excuses that say, I'm exception, because none of us are none of us are and the cycle of blessing that God wants to roll in our lives is very real and it's very powerful and it has a momentum to itself that when it gets going it just is amazing but it starts by cleaning out the crud by humbly accepting God's word doing what it says and then going deeper in our obedience